Uh, good morning, brethren. It's uh, good to be with you again. What a blessed time it is for us to be able to go through God's Word. I'm so thankful. I've been doing my own personal study, obviously, and I've really enjoyed the book of James. It's been um, convicting for myself. It's been a great study where we've just seen James be so direct. That's one thing we've seen about James is, is he's, he's not scared, if you want to say it that way. He likes to just get right into the root of the issues. And what we've seen over the last, or last week especially, is we've heard James' condemnation of dead faith or useless belief, another way to put it. And we examined the passage, verses 14 through 20, and we, we saw that what James said is that just because you have a profession of faith doesn't mean that that profession guarantees that you're a Christian. Right? So James says, is, look, if, if a brother or sister says they have faith, but there's not any deeds behind it, then there's a, the question about whether that profession is real. He actually uses a perfect example in his in God's sovereignty in verses 15 through 16. He, he talks about a brother or sister who is in need, who is who's cold and is hungry. And instead of helping that person, you, he says that you, you look at that person and you say, go in peace, be warm and filled. In other words, I'll, I'll pray for you. And God's going to take care of you. And he said, what, what good is, that, is those words? What, what good is that, that phrase or, or that, that, those words out of your mouth, excuse me, to that person? Did he do them any good? Well, James said, this is, this is like faith that doesn't have any works. It's, you, you can say you're a Christian. You can say that I believe, but yet if there's nothing that backs it up, is it truly real? And James continues even, and he says, look, you say you have orthodox faith. Verses 18 through 20, you, you say that God is one. James commends orthodox belief and, and right doctrine. He says, you do well. But he says, the demons believe. The demons understand exactly who Christ is. They understand the gospel. And they will not submit to Jesus Christ and His Lordship. So just because you understand the truths of Scripture doesn't mean you're a Christian. There are many children that have grown up in Christian homes and have had no vast amounts of Scripture, but you look at their lives and they will not submit to Jesus Christ. Knowledge alone does not save. And so James is continuing to argue this point here, and he, and he calls it useless faith, and he dead faith, and useless faith. He repeats it three times throughout the passage. He's arguing that if you have faith, it will be demonstrated in your actions. I remember when I was in seminary, I had the opportunity of, uh, I met a guy, and we've got to know each other really well. And Michael was a pilot. He was also training to be a pastor, but he was also a mechanic. And he had his own plane. And, we, you know, I love airplanes, and we were talking about airplanes often. And one day he just said, hey, you know, you want to go up with me? And I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to do it sometime. And he said, oh, he said, but, you, you know, you, you trust me because it was his plane. He had been working on it as the mechanic and he was going to be the pilot. So it came down to, did I trust him? And I said, yeah, I trust you. I trust you. And he said, all right, we'll set it up sometime. And we talked about it and months went by. And then one day he, he just said, hey, this Saturday, let's go. And I said, all right, 
Let's go. So, you know, I could say, you know, verbally that I trusted him, that I had faith in him, that he was understood that he was going to have that plane in working condition and that he was going to be able to fly that plane. But it wasn't until I hopped in, hopped in the cockpit with him in that little two-seater airplane and we took off that my, my faith, my trust was put to the tests. Well, as we're going to see in verses 20 through 26 this morning of James chapter 2, James says that living faith or, or real faith or salvific faith, it's demonstrated in your actions, not just merely in your profession. And we're going to be looking at it this morning, and we're going to see a few things. We're going to see James's call to us to hear and listen and see what saving faith is really about. Number one, James is going to call us to recognize useless belief in verse 20. And then he's going to call us to recognize real faith in verses 21 through 25. And then he's going to call us to, to remember the truth in verse 26. So let's go ahead and look at the text And we'll dig in this morning. We're going to start in verse 20 of James chapter 2. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So James, first of all, number one, wants to, has a call for us to recognize useless belief in verse 20. He calls out the particular individual, the particular individual that's disagreeing with him in verse 18, who basically says, look, James, you have works, that's fine, that show your faith, I have faith, it's okay, we're, we're both equal, it doesn't matter, if I profess Jesus Christ, I'm okay, I'm a Christian. Well, James had already said in verse 18, he says, look, Demonstrate your faith. Show me. Show me your faith. Right? I want to see it because I'm going to show you my faith by my deeds. And James' implication is you can't. You can't show faith without actions that go along with it. And so he's arguing against that particular person. And he says in verse 20, he says, Are you willing to recognize? Are you willing to accept the truth? Are you able to be honest with yourself? He said, are you able to recognize? The word recognize means acknowledge. Or are you going to acknowledge that what James is saying is right on this particular issue? It's in the aorist tense. So James is calling for a definite act of acknowledgement. Because this particular individual, he wants his own way. So often you profess, or the many that profess Jesus Christ, they look at it as kind of an addition to their lives. It, it, inf- it, uh, it backs up their own self-sufficiency. And what, what happens is, is, is if you think about it like this, if you lived out in the bush, you live out in the country, as we say where I'm from, you live out in the country in the bush, what's one thing you're going to have? You're going to have fire insurance, right? You have fire insurance because there's going to be a fire sometime or another, sooner or later. And 
without fire insurance, you've lost everything. Well, the person who, who has that verbal profession of Jesus Christ, but out any works, they look at Christianity and the gospel as fire insurance. They don't want to burn in hell. Who does? They don't want to face judgment. But they believe and they, they profess Jesus Christ and they say a prayer, then they're okay. And they can live their life however they want, continue in their self-righteousness and their self-sufficiency, their self-fulfillment. But James says, are you willing to recognize foolish fellow? Right? He, he's drawing this out and he says that, that faith without works is useless. Right? This guy's foolish. He lacks sense. Literally, the word means empty or hollow. By the way, there's, there's no such thing as a vacuum in the human heart. There's no gray area in the human heart. It's either good in the sense it's regenerate, or it's natural, which is evil. It's sinful. Right? There's, there's no halfway point. Partial faith. You're either saved or you're not. Right? You're either a follower of God or you're not. But he says, look, are you willing to recognize, you're willing to acknowledge and accept that faith, true faith, living faith, saving faith, cannot be shown or is worthless, is useless without deeds. It's interesting, he draws this point out, and you can't really see it in the English because of the way the Greek words are, but literally the word for work is the Greek word ergon. I know you're all impressed, you're very excited, I can tell. Well, the Greek word for useless, and this is where James draws this pun out, is anergon. He puts an A, an alpha primitive, in the front of it. It's kind of like we have a theist, right, believer in God, or an atheist. We put the A in front, it negates it. Well, James is drawing this out as a pun. He's saying that, look, you, will you recognize that works without works... Sorry, work, sorry, sorry, faith without works is workless, right? Or in other words, faith without works doesn't work. That's what James is saying. You say you have faith, and that's why the translators translate it useless, because it's hard to get that idea across without using a, a multitude of words. Like, faith without works doesn't work. That's what James is saying. Literally, it's useless, has no use. Faith, if it's not demonstrated, it can't be proven that it's real. Now, faith, salvific faith, is always based on Jesus Christ. Salvation is always by God's grace through faith. We're not trying to earn God's favor, right? We're not trying to be self-righteous. It's a free gift of God. Now, you see this, and I know many of you are saying, all right, Pastor, we're following along with you, but are there any examples in Scripture? Because it's easy for you to say, and easy for James to say, but are there any examples that we can see clearly? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And you will see a clear example. Acts chapter 8. Let's start in verse 4. And this is Philip. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word, and Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ. The crowds were one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs that he was performing. Okay? And now verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and was astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming 
to be someone great. And they all, from smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him. This man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Verse 13, this is key. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip as he observed the signs and great miracles that were taking place. And now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, And then verse 17, And they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And now when, and this is this, verse 18, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness and pray that the Lord, that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see in you the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. All right, so you have a heart that is in bondage to iniquity bitterness. You see, Simon, even though he, was, he professed Jesus Christ and was baptized, he didn't demonstrate that he had true saving faith. You see, brethren, your profession of faith should not produce more self-righteousness. It shouldn't, shouldn't be something that you just tack on to your life and just continue to live the life the way you want to live. Church attendance doesn't guarantee salvation doesn't get you out of hell, even though that's what you desire. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must, what, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Being a Christian involves saving faith, believing that Christ died on the cross for your sins and in your place, and trusting for Him alone for salvation. But then that saving faith is then demonstrated in your life, in your deeds, in your actions. Right? Useless belief doesn't work, as James says in verse 20, but saving faith does. So we've seen, first of all, a call to recognize useless belief in verse 20. Well, James, second of all, he says it's a call to recognize real faith. And he gives examples of Abraham and Rahab. And he starts off in verse 21, he says, "...was not Abraham our father..." justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar. Now, in the sense that our father, you've got to remember that this is primarily a Jewish church. But James means this in a physical and a spiritual sense. Now, obviously, from a physical sense, Abraham, this is his descendants, the Jewish people. These were a Jewish church. You can understand that. But also, Romans 4 says that Abraham is the great example of faith. He's the father to all who would believe, who would trust God. Paul makes this argument in Romans chapter 4. But one of the things that's interesting, and this is the point that we have to stop and say that context matters, right? One of my professors used to say, context, context, and context. And the greatest of these is context, right? 
Without context, you have a pretext. And when we look at this passage, often these next few verses are taken out of context and they're used especially by the Catholic Church to say that one must earn their justification or their right standing before God. But that's where we have to take these particular verses, these hard verses, and we put them in the context of what James is saying in verses 14 through 26. And if you remember last week, verses 14, James talks about useless faith. In verse 20, he says useless faith. Verse 17, he says dead faith. In 26, he says dead faith. He's over and over, he's talking about belief, useless belief versus saving faith. He's not contrasting faith and works. He's contrasting two different types of faith, useless belief and real saving faith. And so when you look at this from a, a context perspective, these verses have to fit into James' argument. And so it helps us to realize that James is not arguing for justification by works alone. He's not saying you earn your salvation after all, he's, he's already said in verse 18 of chapter 1 that it was the exercise of God's will that He brought us forth by the word of truth. Right? He's already said that He's emphasized faith, He's emphasized God's actions. So when you think about this, James says, look, in verse 20, he says, or excuse me, 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? So, so what does that mean then? If we know it has to fit in this context, and we're working your way through this passage, say, so well, well, what does justification mean? And this is the key. In the New Testament, justification is used, this particular Greek word is used in two ways. One is used as the common way that you would naturally respond to this word. It's used as, uh, to treat someone as righteous. Right? It's God-oriented in the sense that God declares someone righteous by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, that Christ's righteousness is imputed towards them, and God looks on them as having Christ's righteousness. Right? It's right-standing. But justification, the same word, is also used to point to a divine vindication of a person's righteous character. And we see this in Romans 3.4. Romans 3.4 says that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. That you may be justified, you may be vindicated in your words. That, that your life and your speech may demonstrate that you really are justified by God, right? That you really are a believer. Jesus actually uses the same word in Luke chapter 7, verse 35, when the, the Pharisees were confronting him about meeting with tax collectors and sinners. And he responds and he says, Yet wisdom is justified by your children, or wisdom is vindicated, or his actions are shown to be right because of the fruit that is produced. And in Jesus' context, he's talking about sinners that come to repentance. So James is using this word in this way, that Abraham's faith was vindicated, it was shown to be true by his actions regarding Isaac and offering Isaac up to God in Genesis chapter 22. So Abraham's faith, and Paul says something very similar as well. He doesn't use the same word, 
But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That our good works demonstrate the reality of our changed hearts. They vindicate it. And so it comes down to, was not Abraham's works, or was not Abraham, his life, vindicated, justified by what he did when he offered up Isaac on the, on the altar? You see, this was the ultimate test of Abraham's faith. And many of you are familiar with this particular passage. But one thing I want you to see, and if you will, flip over to Genesis, because we'll be in Genesis for a couple passages. I'll give you a chance. Genesis chapter 15. And this is the key, because Genesis chapter 15 is where Abraham gets saved, if you want to use that term. Genesis chapter 15, we'll look, in the, we'll look at the first six verses. After these things, this is after all that stuff with the king of Sodom and the war where he rescued Lot. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring, or sorry, and Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. But the one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens. Count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And then he believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. You see, Abraham was saved this point. Abraham was justified before the Lord in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Now, the great test of Abraham's faith came in Genesis chapter 22, 30 years later. Now, we just look at it as a few chapters later, but a great amount of time. And Genesis chapter 22 is is the greatest test of Abraham's faith. And it was a great test, right? God told Abraham to go and offer your son on an altar, sacrifice, you're talking about tremendous cost? Well, the whole world and God would be able to see, and as we have seen, as we read Genesis chapter 22, as we read Genesis chapter 22, we see a demonstration of Abraham's faith. He passed the test. He knew that it was inconsistent with the character of God. And you can see that if you still have your, your fingers in Genesis, flip over to Genesis chapter 22, a few chapters And in verse 1, it says, It came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will tell you. And said, Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose, and he went to the place God had commanded him. His faith is demonstrated in his obedience. And listen to this, verse 5, And he said to the young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham believed that 
Isaac and he were going to return. And we know this. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us a little more insight into Abraham's thinking. Abraham's, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom was said, In Isaac, your descendant shall be called. And listen to this in verse 19 of Hebrews 11. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. So when Abraham said to those men, we will worship and come back to you, in his mind, we have this revelation, he even believed that they were definitely coming back and that God, if necessary, would raise Isaac from the dead. Now, I emphasize this because James is pointing out to us that Abraham didn't earn his justification. Right? He, was, he was saved, he was justified in Hebrews chapter 15, but 30 years later, God called him to the ultimate test, and that test was to offer up the thing that mattered the most to him, his only son. See, Abraham's works, his deeds, demonstrated the faith that was in his heart. And he was willing to go through that. But also, let's look at the results. So we know that Abraham had saving faith in verse 21. But in verses 22 through 23, James gives us the results. He says, you see, in verse 22, that faith was working with his works. And as a result of his works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So really you have three results, the first of which is a perfected faith. James says, you see, right? He wants, he wants those that are reading and they're hearing, us included, to, to recognize, to see that Abraham's faith was working in the sense that it was manifest in his actions. And he said that his faith was perfected. Right? That God had a goal. When you think of perfection, the, the same word is used in verse 4 of chapter 1 of James. And let endurance have its perfect, its mature, its complete. Let it have its natural goal. Right? And that goal of endurance and trials is that we would have a what? A mature faith. And that's what God's goal for Abraham was, is that he would have a mature faith. That's what his goal for you is, that you would have a mature faith. And he's going to work in your circumstances. Even in James chapter 1, we know even in trials to, to mature your faith, to make you more like Christ and make you depend on him more. He had a perfecting faith. It was, it was working with him. That, that, those works it was continually, the word there is in, in a perfect tense, that his, his, his deeds were working with his faith, that his deeds were demonstrating his faith consistently over and over and over in his life. Now, we know Genesis, and we know that Abraham's life wasn't perfect. Just ask Sarah, his wife, right? But what we see from Genesis chapter 15 to the end of his life is we see a man who's, who's maturing in his faith. Martin Luther even says that, yea, it is impossible to separate works from faith as impossible to separate burning and shining from fire. 
So you have a perfected faith, a complete faith. God's great goal for him was was demonstrated in chapter 22 of Genesis. That goal was attained. God said, now I know you will hold nothing back. What a great application for us that is our faith of the the mature type that we're willing to to hold nothing back from God. Are we willing to, to, to give Him everything? Even if it cost us everything. My grandfather had three apple trees in his backyard, and I remember going and picking apples and just uh, having, a, having a great time as a kid playing in those trees. And I remember when I was about 10 years old, he told me, he said, I've got to go uh, get one of those trees taken out. And I said, well, well, why? And he said, well, have you noticed? It no longer bears fruit. It's, it's useless. It's just taking up space. Well, faith without works, faith without deeds, is a useless faith. In fact, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17, so every good tree that bears, sorry, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. James speak, sorry, Jesus is speaking about false prophets, but it applies to, to anyone who doesn't have faith. You'll know them by your, their fruits. Fruit trees bear fruits. Just like Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, those who are created for good works in Christ Jesus will do good works. Abraham's faith was demonstrated in his acts of faith. See, God worked in Abraham's life. He strengthened this faith to the point where he would, he, would, he would get to this mature point in his life in Genesis chapter 22, where he'd be willing to, to offer up everything, even believing that God would raise Isaac from the dead. The goal that God has for him is the same goal that he has for us, mature faith. But not only did it perfect his faith and mature his faith, James says that it fulfilled the Scriptures. Now, it wasn't a prophecy to be fulfilled. It was the logical fulfillment of his faith in Genesis chapter 15. Logical fulfillment of that justification. The Scriptures, excuse me, the, his, his works, his deeds in life vindicated him. It vindicated that that original justification. It showed that it was real and it was truthful. It was was actually saving faith. It wasn't useless belief. You see, God credited him as righteousness. And James, James actually quotes Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 and verse 23. You see, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was was credited. God views Abraham's faith as complete trust in him alone. And Abraham looked ahead. Genesis chapter, sorry, Genesis. John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. This is Jesus. And he saw it and was glad that Abraham responded to the truth. And he knew that, that a Messiah would come because he was told so by God. And he believed and God imputed Christ's righteousness to him. You see, Abraham's faith was perfected 
Abraham's faith fulfilled his original calling. And then Abraham's faith is said to make him a friend of God. Wow, what a statement that Abraham was a, a friend of God. Jesus says in John, John chapter 15, verse 14, You are my friends if you do what I tell you. In 2 Chronicles, it says that Abraham is thy friend. In Isaiah 41.8, God actually says, Abraham, my friend. Now, this isn't a friend uh, like we have our friendships, right? It's a friend in the sense that they have the same goals, the same desires, right? God's goal is that he would be glorified, and that was Abraham's goal. You see, and Jesus applied this to his followers, We're His friends if we do what He says. We obey His commandments. A friend of God. What a great statement to be be called that that God calls you His friend. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you, you seek after His will and you obey His commandments and you love Him, Jesus says you're His friend. So James draws that conclusion after all of this and he just keeps hammering this thought home. He says in verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. He makes that point. It's it's not faith alone that shows that you have faith. The faith alone doesn't vindicate you. You can profess belief all you want. Faith alone is the same as demonic belief. But he says that, that faith is demonstrated. It's vindicated in your actions. How you live your life. Faith and works are linked, not, not in a salvific sense. You aren't saved by your works. You're always saved by grace through faith. But James is emphasizing that faith without actions is useless, or that faith without works doesn't work. James is talking about the outcome of salvation, right? That's why he tells the guy and the objector in verse 18, he says, show me. Show me your faith. This is a quote of Luther. I might as well quote Calvin. John Calvin says, Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Look, there's a bridge in Michigan. It spans five miles or eight kilometers. It's one of the longest suspension bridges in the world. And the bridge even has a... uh, a driver's assistance program for those that are, that are too scared to cross this bridge that you can call this program and they will provide a driver to help get you across this bridge. It's called, let me get this right, it's called gephyrophobia for those of you who fear of bridges. Look, we don't even, most of us don't even think about crossing a bridge. We just cross it, right? We don't think about the fact that how old is it? Are the underpinnings sound? Is it going to support the weight of my vehicle? We're not thinking about those things. We just said, hey, a bridge, i got to cross it to get to the other side. We trust, we have faith that that bridge is going to hold us. But that faith is demonstrated by the fact that we drive our car right across it. You see, you, you can laugh and you can say, oh, you know, I always always trust the bridge. But James says, you know what? If you have faith, then show me your actions. 
Show me your actions. If you say you have, say you have faith, just like you, you laugh and you say, oh, wow, I always cross a bridge. Well, as a Christian, do you have works? Are there good deeds in your life? Those good deeds are what Scripture describes. Do you love others is more important than yourself, serving others? Do you find fulfillment in Christ? Are your affections set on Christ? Are your, are your, is your mindset set on Christ? Do you, do you seek to glorify Christ? Look, don't, James gives this first example, and this example of Abraham. Abraham was willing to give up the thing that he loved the most, his son, trusting that God would be glorified and that God would bring him back to life if necessary. So James also gives an example of Rahab. And he says in verse 25, In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? And he says in the same way. So he's trying to make that same point. He says Rahab the harlot. Right? She was a Canaanite woman in the midst of a, a pagan culture, an idolatrous culture, an immoral culture, everything around her pointed in one direction, and that was rebellion and, and sinfulness apart from God. In fact, God had already told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 that the, that the Amorite, the day of the Amorite was not complete. In other words, he, he said there'd be 400 years that the Canaanites would have, and then God's patience would be in an end and they would be judged. And their judgment came in the form of the Israelites in the conquests. That's why God told him to destroy those people. They were wicked, and he used Israel as a means of judgment. Now, Rahab was a harlot. Right? The Bible doesn't paint over a picture of who these people were in their past. She came from an immoral past, but, but God saved her from her culture and her past. She believed. In fact, the Jews... Even Jewish tradition holds Rahab in high honor. She's said to be one of the most beautiful women who have ever lived. They hold her in high esteem. In fact, she's in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. She's in Hebrews. In the the hall of faith, the, the author of Hebrews mentions Rahab. You see, she heard the truth from secondary sources. For those of us that have been going through Joshua in the home groups, you know the story. But in Joshua chapter 2, when she, when she received the spies, she says in verse 10, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you, and when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What a profession of faith. She heard just from secondary sources the message about God. And it's interesting that James used the word messengers here. And Hebrews uses the word spies, but here uses the word messengers. You see, Rahab received these men as messengers from the living God, bringing her truth. They were authentic witnesses to the true God. She no longer had secondary sources. She had these men who had seen and heard God 
and His glory. They'd seen the pillar of fire, the cloud. Right? They were kids, but they, they saw God demonstrate these wondrous things. And what did she do? She acted on her faith. Said she hid them. What she, she sent them out. She, she received and welcomed them. She treated them as her guests. And, and then she sent them out. She had an urgent concern for their safety. Unless you think this wasn't costly, if she had been found out, it would have been treason for her and her family. It would have been death. The risk was great. So James adds Rahab in because he wants to show, uh, even though they're, they're different deeds... Very different. And they came from different backgrounds, different social statuses. They both responded to their faith. They both responded to God in faith, and they demonstrated in their actions. So you might could argue, oh, well, Abraham, of course he's going to respond to God in faith. Look at all the things that God had promised him that he was going to bless him with. But you couldn't say that about Rahab. You see, both of these individuals that James gives as an example, they respond to God in faith and they demonstrate that faith in their actions. Rahab demonstrated her faith. Right? Rahab, and notice that Rahab and Abraham's faith wasn't, wasn't demonstrated in day-to-day religious rituals. It was demonstrated in actions. Specific calling for Abraham, sacrifice his son, and and Rahab demonstrated her faith through her protection and welcoming of the spies and helping them to escape. And it, it was costly. Rahab, the cost was the danger to her family, and for Abraham, it was the danger to his son. You see, this is a binding analogy, and that gives us the last point. The last point is a call to remember the truth. Look down in verse 26. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also the faith, excuse me, faith without works is dead. All this previous discussion is coming down to James's point. Just, that's why he says, just as. And he's comparing something we all understand very, very clearly. The body and the soul. And he says, just as the body, the material and immaterial, just as the body without the soul is a what? It's a corpse. I remember my first funeral. Going to see my my father in a casket. And I remember as much as I wanted him to get up and walk and talk, his soul was in heaven and his body was just, just what it was. It was just a corpse. There was nothing there. Just as the body without a soul is nothing. James draws this analogy and he says, faith without works is nothing. It's dead. If you say you have faith in Jesus Christ, then your life should show it. It's not happy as you know it, your life is going to show it. It's if you have Christ, your life is going to show it. And there'll be joy. Faith without deeds is dead. It's useless belief. It's worthless for your spiritual life. If you're dead in your trespasses and sin and you have useless belief, simple mental assent, right? you understand the gospel and you understand doctrine, but there's no verifiable works, then it's useless for you because it doesn't save. It's not saving faith. And that's James's point. 
Look, it's, it's hard. Many of us have friends and family. They have intellectual assent, right? They know the truth. One of the commentators has a great quote. He says, An active faith entombed in an intellectual approved creed is of no more value than a corpse. Right? God never created a man or woman without a soul. And God doesn't give someone faith that is dead. Intellectual belief is not a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Knowledge isn't a fruit. Plenty of pagans have great knowledge of the Scriptures. Just, just understanding the truth doesn't make you a Christian. You can understand all the workings of a car and go stand in a garage, but are you a car? No. The body is alive, and it shows that it is alive through what? Through its actions, its movements. Believers, brethren, Faith shows it is alive through what it does. Through your love for God and your affection set on Him and not this world. Love for others in a service to others. Seeking their their benefit, their wants and desires. Seeking to honor them above yourself. That's good works. Done according to God's truth. So the question, brethren, is do you have saving faith? 2 Peter chapter 5, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 2, apologize. Verse 5 said, Now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless, same word as James uses, useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Now, as Christians, we, we all stumble from, into sin from time to time. But a lifestyle habitually lived, disregarding God's Word, regardless of what someone says, doesn't demonstrate fruit. In fact, James says that kind of life is a, is a useless and a wasted life. It's unfruitful. Brethren, you, this is a hard truth. Many people we know, friends, family members, they're self-deceived. They believe they've been baptized in their life or they, they go to church and that makes them a Christian. Pray for them. Love them. Be willing to share the truth with them. Help them to see as as best you can that if they say they have Christ, then where is their life? Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. Right? 
Part of, that, part of those commandments is that we fellowship one another. We serve one another. We don't go to church just to get something out of it. We come to church to worship the Lord. But we come to church, what? To use the gifts that God has given us to serve others. Church attendance for me is a huge one. Somebody says they're a Christian and say, oh, what church do you attend? What, what body of Christ are you a part of locally? And where do you use your gifts? Oh, no, just, just me and the Lord. Oh, yeah? Well, that's what the, the demons believe, all the stuff you do. Show me your, like James says, show me your faith by your works. It's like podcast Christians. You know, they listen to all the great stuff and they, and they have all this great doctrine and information, but are they plugged into a local church so they can demonstrate their faith through their service, through their love for others? Brethren, saving faith is living and active. It offers everything to God. It holds nothing back. Is willing to serve people, serve God's people, even at a cost to yourself. Look, God works in your life. And good works vindicate your faith. Your deeds declare who you are and declare that your heart has been changed. Faith nor works, faith, excuse me, nor works are the basis for salvation. God's salvation is by grace alone. We are saved by grace through faith. It is a faith that works. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for a great call to examine our hearts and our own lives, to make sure that our, our lives line up with Your Word. That we don't just have useless faith. Father, we thank you for your grace. For we know it is grace that saves us. Lord, we didn't deserve it. You loved us when yet we were still sinners. How great is your grace towards us. Father, help us to glorify you. Help us to hold each other accountable but to demonstrate that we have true faith through our actions, through our deeds. Help us not be useless and unfruitful, but to live obediently to our calling to to do good works according to your word. Father, may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.